Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and miniskirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. You have to make sure you're doing it for the right reason. And and I guess one of the analogies I guess we could use here is that for me, I was taking a cup and I was trying to fill it up and, and drink it with nothing but fitness, external validation, you know, mm. girls, money, that sort of thing. And I kept having to fill that cup more and more and more and more every time I after I drank it because it's like you're almost trying to one up the thing from before and you're trying to always chase the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I think if you could take that same cup and fill it up with solid relationships, meaning and purpose, being healthy for the right reasons, some spiritual walk, uh, contribution, being of service, like all these other things, when you make money and you're in an intimate relationship or you get all these other things that you're chasing, you know, they sometimes come with external validation. That cup tastes a lot better to me. Mm-hmm. Like the water in that cup is a lot easier to drink because you don't have to drink it as fast. You can kind of just sip on it because you're not waiting to just get the next rush or the next high off of success or whatever it is. And as I look back now, I know exactly what I was doing specifically with girls where I was almost trying to go back into my past mm-hmm. and like go after girls that weren't interested in me when I was like the fat Doug and being like, well, look at me now I'm fit and doing all these things. Like they'd want to go out with me mm-hmm. and some would and some wouldn't. And the people that would, I, I realized it quickly, I never wanted a relationship. I just wanted validation. You just wanted to prove that you could not be rejected by them or that they would be interested in you. Yeah, exactly. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Doug, welcome to She. Jordan, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes, great to have you. You guys, for everyone listening, I just want to give you a heads up before we dig too deep into this episode. If there's any kind of echo, we don't have, I don't have my normal podcast set up today. So bear with us if it sounds a little different. We've been having some tech issues, but we're we're rolling with it and we're making it happen. So, Doug, thank you for your flexibility. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to dig into this topic because I know when I was on your show a few months ago, we just had such a great conversation. And I know this is really going to be so encouraging and such a blessing to so many. But before we dig into all the nitty gritty of what I want to talk about. Can you just give us a little recap of your own story and how you went from a pretty dark place to finding purpose, even in the midst of adversity? Absolutely. I guess, I guess first I want to say it's, it's interesting because like the theme of your show, theme of my show, it's like really about owning your insecurities. And even though things aren't always perfect, it's like embracing those moments to make the best of it. And I kind of think what perfect moment then for us to be recording 
a podcast about these things really? and things don't go as planned. We were supposed to do this on the phone and then we had some uh, technical difficulties. And then even on Zoom, we kind of had some technical difficulties and now we've kind of made it work. So I just think that that's a good reminder and a, a life lesson for people that are listening to this, that I think we we chase perfection in this world. Mm-hmm. And I know that I did a lot growing up and that led to my incarceration, which I'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. But I think the more we can realize that, you know, that life isn't always going to be perfect. And as a matter of fact, like it's impossible. And that if we can just embrace like every moment that we have and just know that it's all part of the plan and just give it the best, the best that we have at that time, mm-hmm. I think we'll find ourselves less stressed, more mm-hmm. blessed, and more likely to achieve fulfillment and happiness long-term. And with all that said, like I was in a really, really dark place in 2008. I was incarcerated on felony drug charges. I never thought that I was going to find any type of fulfillment, any type of success. I never thought I was going to get a girlfriend. I never thought that I would make any money that was legal. I never thought that I was going to be anything other than a convicted felon, a a drug addict and somebody that was just destined for complete failure. And so just to paint a picture of what I was like back in 2008, because I'm sure maybe after listening to this episode, you might go check out my social media or something. You might see pictures of me and you're like, that guy, like really? So back then I was like 50 pounds heavier than I am now. I had a three, 400 milligram a day Oxycontin habit. Every single day I would snort three to 400 milligrams of Oxycontin just to support my own habit. Mm. I was selling a bunch of drugs. I was crippled with anxiety, crippled with fear, crippled with insecurities, crippled with low self-esteem, had zero self-confidence, damaged relationships, 21 jobs by the time I was 21. I go on and on with all the stuff that was going wrong in my life that would have me convinced that I was never going to achieve anything other than what I had been achieving at that time in my life, which was you know, addiction, incarceration, and just bad relationships. So as I entered my 90-day sentence at the Hartford County Detention Center, I cried because I didn't want to go in, just like anybody. I mean, I would imagine that's a very similar experience that somebody has when they're entering a place where you don't know what's going to happen. Your freedoms are taken away. You can't see, talk to, you know, listen to, you can't do anything that you want. Mm-hmm. And then on top of all of that, I had a horrific opiate addiction to kick. Mm-hmm. And So I cried because I didn't want to go in. But the craziest part of all of this is I cried the day I left because I didn't want to leave. So here's what happened. Wow. The first few weeks of my experience in jail, I had to detox from opiates, which it's like having the withdrawal symptoms are like having the worst case of the flu, like uncontrollable bowel movements, vomiting, sleepless nights, you're crippled with anxiety, pain. Just everything that could be going wrong with your body is going wrong at that point. And the one thing that I look back today that I can say was the hardest thing, but also the biggest blessing of all of this, as far as all the withdrawal, was this feeling like you're trying trying to crawl out of your own skin, which is like pretty common, I think, with people who have really bad anxiety because you just have all this unused energy that just keeps controlling your nervous system in a way. But as I look back, I realized that that God was helping me to release this old version of me so that the new version of me could become could become new and my most i guess my biggest setback that i thought in my life at that point ended up becoming my biggest blessing because my soon to be cellmate 
was sitting there playing Scrabble at the Scrabble table. And he looked like a more jacked version of Brad Pitt from Bike Club. And he looked at me and he was like, Doug, you're going to start working out with me when you get through your detox. And I was like, dude, there's no way. Like, have you seen me? Like, I was 50 pounds heavier, could have been a model for Pillsbury, never had formally exercised. And again, I had no self confidence and no self esteem. He looked at me and he's like, all right, man, whatever. Not too long after that, I see him work out for himself and he's doing all kinds of push ups, pull ups, you know, moving around all in the common area of the jail. And I was like, man, who is this guy? I've been a personal trainer now for almost 11 and a half years. And I can say that he's one of the most fit people that I've ever seen still. And not too long after that, we're sitting there and we're talking in the cell. And this is where things changed for me. Can I cuss, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. If that's if that's necessary for the story, okay. we're not going to judge you. <laughs> okay. And I, okay. So the reason I, I want to preface that is because some people might get offended by some of the language that I used. But what I want to say is, if you can, try not to pay attention to the language mm-hmm. and more focus on the meaning of the message. Mm-hmm. Because I think anybody can take something from this. So my, my cellmate and I were having this conversation and he started to ask me more about my story. And he said, you know, why are you here? You know, you know, so why did you get addicted to drugs? Like yada, yada, yada. And so instead of me taking responsibility for myself, I said, you know, my parents got divorced when I was five. Girls rejected me, wasn't good at sports. I was bullied. I was picked on like victim, 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 victim. Right. And he looks at me and he's like, quit being a bitch. I was mm. just like, whoa. Like, mm. I was like, it's like, you don't ever want to be called that. Like in life, especially, you know, when you're in jail, like you never want to be called that. It's very obviously offensive. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He was like, you are blaming everybody for your problems except for yourself. He's like, there's plenty of people that go through the experiences that you went through and had the circumstances that you had that aren't in jail, right, Doug? And I was like, yep. He was like, so you have two choices. Be a man, look at yourself in the mirror and say, you got yourself here. And it's on you to make better choices to pull yourself out of this. He's like, no one's coming to save you. Hmm. He's like, or you can be a bitch, go cry in the corner and, and say, woe is me. And I think the important takeaway from that is this, is that like there's there was a lot of circumstances at, that other people were going through and facing at that time that were significantly worse than mine. Some people had it better than me, but the point is you can't change that. You can't control that. Mm-hmm. And I used my negative circumstances and the way people treated me to make poor decisions in my life and, and justify those poor decisions and blame everybody else for my problems that I continued to recreate within my own life. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you and I are both Christians, take Jesus out of this. But I think from like a life standpoint, like no one's coming to save you. No one's coming to rescue you. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times in life, and for me, I was waiting for someone to come save me and fix all my problems. Mm-hmm. I was waiting for drugs. I was waiting for women. I was waiting for money. I was even waiting for my parents, like all these people and things to come and save me. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I took a hard look in the mirror and said, you know what? This guy's right. I need to make better decisions and know that it's up to me. I got to feel empowered to change. And that that conversation saved my life. Like yeah. it literally saved my life. And I still use that today. Yeah. And shortly after that, I decided to give exercise a try and got down in front of a bunch of grown men to yeah. try to do a push-up. Couldn't do a push-up, could barely do one for my knees, could barely also walk up down the steps in there because I was smoking a pack to a pack and a half of cigarettes each day. And I was for some reason I was just so motivated. 
at that time because I was like, what happened to me? Like, why did I let myself get to this place Mm -hmm. where I am physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually bankrupt? And Mm -hmm. my cellmate made me an offer that was at that time hard to refuse. He agreed to train me in there every single day. We set some goals, which were to run a mile and to do a set of 10 pushups by the time I left my sentence. By the time I got out of there, I and mean, with his motivation and encouragement, training me in there every single day, I was able to do it. I was able to do that, those push-ups and run that mile. And I felt like at that time, I was finally ready to transform my life. And it wasn't necessarily because of like push. It wasn't like I just did push-ups. I was like, oh, I'm ready to change my life. And it wasn't like I did the runs and I was like, I'm going to change my life. It was how they made me feel. It was slowly having these small wins where it slowly built my self-confidence because going from somebody that couldn't do a push-up from my knees. Like doing a set of 10 push-ups at that time felt like, you know, climbing Mount Everest for me. But when I went from zero to one, it's like, wow, I got some confidence because I did something I never thought I could do. One to two, more confidence, two to three, and and so on and so forth, all the way up until I got to that 10. The same kind of thing happened with with running. And so I got comfortable being uncomfortable. I developed some self-discipline that I never had. I finally like did the things that I knew I should have been doing all along to take better care of myself. And then most importantly, I, I learned how to reattach behavior to emotion. And what I what I mean by that is my default coping mechanism for when I was depressed, anxious, stressed was drugs. Depressed, do a drug. Anxious, do a drug. Got too much on my plate, do a drug. But in jail, I had to learn how to manage my emotions in a healthy way, or I would have potentially gotten more time, ended up in solitary confinement, gotten the crap beat out of me, and so on and so on. And so the day I left jail, I cried because I felt like this guy had come into my life in a time where I felt like I didn't deserve it because of how I had treated people in the past and based on like where I was at that time. And he just gave me this unconditional support, unconditional amount of wisdom to help pull me out of this dark place. And I asked him, I said, how can I ever repay you? And he said, don't mess up and pay it forward. And he gave me a workout routine that I still have framed in my place today. So I never forget where I came from, got out, lost a bunch of weight. And then that all inspired me to become a personal trainer and then build a successful personal training career. And the felony conviction came off my record back in 2014. And then I've written a couple books, you know, started a podcast, been blessed to speak, you know, across the country, different places. And, you know, here I am talking to you. So that's that's it, I guess, in a nutshell, as far as how I took a moment that was probably the dark, one of the darkest moments of my life at the time and mm-hmm. turn it into something meaningful. Yeah. Well, praise God for an influence like that too. And, and also I'm thankful that you shared kind of the reality of that conversation, because I think that's something that as much as it's a hard thing to hear and it feels really harsh, it's also something that we all need to hear at times because so often yes, sometimes really horrible things happen to us that we didn't ask for. Right. And I guess the challenge that I take away from what you said is like, he was really challenging. Like, look at your response. Like your response to this has really just only made your life worse. And I think how often do we do that? Whether it's to the extreme of where it's landing us in jail, or it's just that we start living with a bitter heart or it harms relationships because our our victim mentality or our woe is me you know, mindset gets in the way of whether that's a relationship that would have been healthy otherwise, but now we're, you know, I'm curious, like just your thoughts on the, I guess the way I want to, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this, but the challenge to 
shift from this has happened to me, but it doesn't define me and it doesn't have to keep becoming a cycle. Like, I think that's one of the hardest mindset shifts to make when we feel like we've just been beaten down by life. Would you agree? Yeah, it's it's really challenging. And, and honestly, it took me a few years to figure that out mm-hmm. because while I had you know begun to shift out of that victim mentality initially when I was in jail and I found different ways to cope with stress and I found fitness, in the back of my mind, I still had all this dark stuff from my past that I was still angry about. And I had learned to channel a lot of that anger into things like fitness, into things like starting a, you know, a, a career as a personal trainer and helping other people. But deep down, it was still there. Mm-hmm. And, then, and I found out the hard way. I, I, I didn't become, I haven't always been a Christian. I hated God most of my life. Like I did. Mm-hmm. I grew up like old school Greek Orthodox and I didn't really align with like the church that I had gone to and nothing, again, no, nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't, wasn't for me. And my idea of God was, all right, if I'm good, I get to go to heaven. And if I'm bad, I get to go to hell. Mm-hmm. And so I knew I was on the highway to hell. So I was like, well, what's the point? Like, what's the point of even turning back? Like it's, it's done. It's over. Like I'm going to hell. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I had this resentment towards God. And I think a lot of people struggle with this where deep down, they still, they want, to somehow believe and they some they want to get on that path mm-hmm. but they're like if god is real like why do I, why are all these bad things happening to me mm-hmm. and that's where i was as well i was like all right if god's real and god's supposed to be about love then why am i being picked on like why am mm-hmm. i the one who's getting bullied how come i can't get a girlfriend i'm a nice guy like why why is all this happening to me mm-hmm. and so i was still caught i was caught up in that victim mindset and when i became a trainer I don't want to say I switched addictions because I was I was never like addicted to exercise. But what I did was I think I switched the way I sought, you know, validation. Mm-hmm. And like worth. Yeah, worth because I thought that you know, if somebody had told me when I was like 17 years old, 18, 19, like Doug, I'm going to grant you three wishes, but if I give you these three wishes, you got to promise me that you're going to stop be- doing drugs and you're going to you're going to you know, pick your, pick yourself back up and go on with your life. But, you know, what would your, what would you want your wishes to be? And I would have said these three things. I said, I want to, I would have wanted a six pack to date pretty girls and have a lot of money. And throughout my twenties, like I had that, like I got to a point where I was extremely lean. I had 5% body fat. I dated, you know, pretty girls. When I say dated, it wasn't like I was in long-term relationships, but I would seek validation. I would get somebody to maybe go out with me or talk to me. And then as soon as I like got that, I would be like, ah, I'm on to the next thing or whatever. And then I made I made great money as a as a trainer. And mm-hmm. so I, I was like, man, like I should be happy. Mm-hmm. I was miserable because not only did I have some of this deep stuff from my past that I had started to address, but st- it was still like haunting me mm-hmm. because I thought that I was just gonna move past it. And I guess mm-hmm. what we from what we know now, like you can't it's really hard to just move past it without doing some work. I felt like I had been like sold this bill of goods. I thought I had been lied to in that I was like, man, like as a guy, as long as I can be ripped, date pretty girls and make a lot of money, like I'm good. Like what else do I need? Mm-hmm. And so I was even more angry that I've, I had worked so hard to get to that place and I still wasn't happy. And I was even more miserable than when I um, was doing drugs. And I wasn't at this point, I wasn't thinking about going back, but I had a lot of questions that I wanted answers to. And so coincidentally, in my training career, I trained a guy who was, he was a pastor at a non-denominational church here locally. And he, he would invite me to come to church. And I was like, dude, there's no way I'm going to hell for putting you through this workout. Like I don't belong in that place, blah, blah, blah. 
all right, man. And then I, I got connected to a guy who was, who was a mentor of mine for a long time in the fitness space. And him and I were together one day and he looked at me and he's a, a faith-based guy as well. And he was like, man, like, he's like, you're a good looking dude. You know, you got, you know, a good group of friends and you're doing a lot of good for the world. You're doing all these good things, but you're like missing this spiritual part. He was like, you know, I don't know what it is for you or something like that. But he was like, you know, you got, I think you got to like, kind of maybe give it a shot again. And time went by for a little bit longer. And I had gotten to a place where I was just done. I was broken because I I would look in the mirror and people would tell me that I looked like, that I looked like Mark Wahlberg. And the reason I say that is because when I looked in the mirror, I still saw like fat Doug. And so yeah. when people would say that to me, I thought they were insulting me because all of my life up, up until the time I went to jail, I was called all these names that were insulting. And so I started to believe that about myself. I think our perception of ourselves gets hijacked sometimes based on the lies that other people say to us. And we start to believe them. We start to internalize them. And I did that a lot. And mm-hmm. so I would still see this old version of me in the mirror. And there just came a day where I, enough was enough. And I was like, what else do I have to lose? And I called my client who was the pastor. And I, th- I said, hey, man, I think I'm ready to give this Jesus thing a try. And Jordan, it was like, yeah, I just told him he won the lottery. I was like, why is this guy so happy? I was like, I don't understand. It's just yeah. so weird. And I went into his office and I prayed the prayer that acknowledged that Jesus is my savior and all these things. And I started crying, you know, and I, I walked out of there and called my mom and apologized to her for the first time about, I guess, just the way I had treated her as a kid, because I, I lashed out a lot at my mom because I was so unhappy with myself and, and so broken and hurt that I called her and apologized. And then I felt like the, felt the same monkey come off my back that I did with drugs in that moment. And mm-hmm. I began to have a lot of realizations about the, the happening to me versus happening for me mentality. So to kind of bring it back full, full circle where there's a Bible verse that, that sticks with me. And if I ever get a tattoo, another tattoo, this would be, I think, one that I would consider. It's Genesis 50, 20. I don't know the exact verse, but it's something like how, how God intended to, to put me through, put you through hard times or pain or something so that I can help others or something like, it's something like that. Don't quote me on it. But, and I started to to take that to heart. I was like, man, like I can't make up the fact that I was a complete disaster in jail. And my cellmate came to help me use fitness to change my life. And here I am now doing the same thing as a business. Like what? It's like, really? Yeah. And then it also made me realize that, you know, a lot of the pain and a lot of the sadness and darkness that I went through, like made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. And I, a lot of the people who mistreated me in my life, I had to look at and say, you know, I thought it was messed up, but it's taught me what I don't want. It's taught me how to not treat people. It's taught me how to have empathy and to stick up for people that won't stick up for themselves sometimes. And it also taught me that I might not be proud of all the things that I did because I did a lot of messed up things growing up, but God was because now I'm using a lot of that to help other people. So that is how I truly began to move past the to me mentality to the for me mentality because I then started to address some of the childhood trauma that I never looked at because I was like, because I, th- I thought of my childhood as like, all right, it happened, but now I'm working out, I'm taking care of myself. So that's all gone. But mm-hmm. I had to do some deep digging, quite a lot of work, but I mean, I'm thankful that I did I me mean, who I am today. Yeah. Thank you for being so open and sharing that. And thank you for sharing some of your journey too, of how you kind of turned your spiritual life around, because 
there's a lot of inspirational stories of people who get in shape, you know, or who overcome their drug addiction, but like the holistic view of how all of those pieces had to come together. And I think also the honesty behind just that, like they didn't all come together in one moment, because I think sometimes we think like there's this one turning point. And I think there's oftentimes like various turning points. And I'm sure you would agree with that. Like, it sounds like that conversation with the guy in jail. And like, that was like a turning point. And then when you hit the one mile and the 10 pushups, like that was another like confidence booster turning point. But then also like, there's still ups and downs along the way. Like when you kind of got all the things you thought you wanted and realized like something's still missing, this isn't fulfillment or as fulfilling as fulfilling as I thought it would be. And having to work through that and kind of, you know, I think there's just, it's a nonlinear journey upward, right? Like you continue to move forward from the place that you were originally at. But I think that's a really important reality for us to remember, because I think sometimes when we think of overcoming something or improving our life, we think like, if I just do a 180 and it improves, you know, it should be great. And like you said, in your experience, it, you thought it would be in terms of from the outside, looking in your life, looked 10 times better. And yet you still weren't happy. You still weren't fulfilled. And I think that's important for us to hear because just having the right circumstances, because even in some of the, the details you were sharing from your story of, you know, being in shape and dating pretty women and having money, like those are circumstantial things. But if you haven't healed the the true pain, that's like living inside of you. And if you don't have any kind of healthy spiritual relationship and, and those pieces, like there's, there can still be a huge, huge gap. And so anyway, I think I just, I really appreciate you kind of walking us through that because it makes us feel a lot more, I think, encouraged so that if we find ourselves in a season where, gosh, I thought by now I'd be fulfilled, like I've made so much progress, but there's still something missing or there's still stuff I need to deal with. Like it just makes it more human. And I think that's the story we need to hear that like, this is not something that happens overnight. Right. I agree with you hundred percent. I also want to kind of make clear that being fit and dating somebody you're attracted to and making money, they're all, I think they're all important things. I think sometimes like we live in this world where it's either like, well, they're everything or they're nothing. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you need money to survive. Like money does make things better that, you know, you can take, have great experiences. You can, you know, make, pay your bills on time. You can build a family and, and all that, those things, you know, money obviously helps you do that. The mm-hmm. same with, you know, dating somebody you're attracted to and obviously being fit. I mean, we could spend all day talking about how that enhances your spiritual health and all these other pillars of health, but you have to make sure you're doing it for the right reason. And and I guess one of the analogies I guess we could use here is that for me, I was taking a cup and I was trying to fill it up and, and drink it with nothing but fitness, external validation, you know, mm. girls, money, that sort of thing. And I kept having to fill that cup more and more and more and more every time I after I drank it, because it's like you're almost trying to one up the thing from before and you're trying to always chase the next thing. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think if you can take that same cup and fill it up with solid relationships, meaning and purpose, being healthy for the right reasons, some spiritual walk, uh, contribution, being of service, like all these other things, when you make money and you're in an intimate relationship or you get all these other things that you're chasing, you know, they sometimes come with external validation. That cup tastes a lot better to me. Mm-hmm. Like the water in that cup is a lot easier to drink because you don't have to drink it as fast. You can kind of just sip on it because you're not waiting to just get the next rush or the next high off of success or whatever it is. And as I look back now, I know exactly what I was doing specifically with girls where I was almost trying to go back into my past mm-hmm. and like go after girls that weren't interested in me when I was 
like the fat Doug and being like, well, look at me now I'm fit and doing all these things. Like they'd want to go out with me mm. and some would and some wouldn't. And the people that would, I, I realized it quickly. I never wanted a relationship. I just wanted validation. You just wanted to prove that you could not be rejected by them or that they would be interested in you. Yeah, exactly. It's here. I can hardly believe that I am saying this, but the original collection, the OG Soul Script sweatshirts are back and better than ever. And the doors are officially open to the shop. They're open this week only. So if you have been wanting to get your hands on one of my original Your Brokenness is Welcome Here crewnecks, this is the time to do it. You only have a few days left before we close the doors. And I don't want you to miss out. So just go to soulscripts.com to grab yourself a crew neck or a cozy long sleeve. We've got teal, orange, terracotta, white, and a little surprise color there as well. So go to soulscripts.com, grab your shirt before the doors close at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Friday, October 7th. Did you see? My new book, Embrace Your Almost, is officially out in the world, and I can't believe it's available to you anywhere books are sold. You can grab it from Amazon or Target or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million. There's some special editions out there, too. Target has an exclusive edition. Barnes & Noble and Books A Million both have signed editions. And you can also get it at local independent bookstores. Anywhere books are sold, you should be able to find it. So if you are walking through a season of unmet expectations or disappointment or broken dreams or waiting or uncertainty, this book will bless your life. If you are not in one of those seasons, but you're just not entirely sure what's next for you, this book will bless your life. And if you have a loved one or a friend or a sister who's walking through a season like that, who's dealing with unmet expectations or broken dreams or uncertainty or waiting, this book will be such a great gift for her or something to pass on to her. So if that sounds like something you need or something a loved one in your life needs, grab a copy. Grab a copy from Amazon. Grab a copy from Barnes & Noble, from Target, from anywhere books are sold. I cannot wait to hear what you think. And I cannot wait to not only get this message in your hands, but also for you to pass on this message and share it because I believe it's more than a message. It's a movement. So as you listen, as you go about your day, I would love for you to put it in order, grab a copy and start reading as soon as it arrives at your door. Yeah, I think that's true. I think the the heart behind it and also like, is that where you're getting your sense of meaning and purpose from life? I think you make a really good point that being healthy and feeling good and having resources and having a good relationship or like, those are all enhancers in life. They're good things in and of themselves, but they can, when they become like gods in our life, like when they become the thing we look for, for a sense of purpose, when they become the thing we look to, we almost like begin to worship them as if that's the end all be all. And they just end up really disappointing because that's not the like, that's not the full picture, you know? And I think you make a really good point. I think the analogy of trying to like fill a cup and just like, you have to drink it faster and faster in order to feel like the rush, the high, the, the the happiness, the whatever feeling you're chasing from it, they begin to, it becomes like less and less able to do that when there's no other substance in your life. That's kind of upholding and supporting all of those other things that can be enhancers or good things that on their own. But when they become like ultimate things, it's like they start to fall short of what we hope they can do for us. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Something else I wanted to ask you too was, you know, as someone who's faced a lot of adversity in your life, I'm curious what your advice would be for the people who are like trying to support friends who are currently walking through some like brokenness or really challenging circumstances or maybe not making good choices. If you could go back, like knowing what you know now, what would you go back and tell, you know, the people in your life or, you know, if there was, friends in your life or anybody in your family, 
what would you wish you could have told them when it came to how they could have better supported you or what they could have, or, you know, what advice would you give to someone who's just in that position where they're like, I have a friend or a loved one or someone who's just in really hard circumstances or in walking through a lot of adversity in their life. And I just don't even know how to support them because there's things I want to say, but I don't know if I should say them. I just be curious what advice you have for that and what you would say. Yeah, this is like a multi-layered answer. And I guess I'll break it down into a couple things. Because from my own experience, and I think I, I touched on this a few minutes ago, the thing that I thought I would have wanted as a kid to pick myself up and get out of that situation and stop doing the drugs I was doing and and find happiness and meaning, like I had those things. Talking about you know the nice body, dating mm-hmm. pretty girls and money, and they still didn't lead me to overall happiness. And I want to touch on an, an important conversation that I had with my mom, and I kind of I always get emotional talking about this because it was just the It's just a hard conversation because I think one of the hardest things that we struggle with is when you break somebody's trust or you make decisions that negatively impact somebody else's life Mm -hmm. and you treat people wrong. It's like, how do you come back and heal that relationship? Mm -hmm. And my mom and I had this difficult relationship for a majority of my life. And even for a few years after I got out of jail and we both kind of did some work and kind of came together and we've grown closer and now we have a better relationship than we've ever had. And one of the the most meaningful conversations we had was we were having dinner one night and we just happened to be talking about my childhood. And Mm. she was like, is there anything you think I could have done differently? And I remember just being like, mom, I think you did the best you could. I really do. Like, cause I mean, it's like, it's easy for people who are like on the other side of it, or maybe haven't had to deal with some of the stuff my mom did or that sort of thing to like tell her or tell somebody else how they should have handled it. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned is I think just people are doing the best that they have with the tools that they have access to. So I kind of said that to my mom, but I said, the only thing I wish you would have done is I wish you would have just asked me why, why am I struggling? Like what's going on? And cause I was, I was like, mom, I was really hurting. Like the divorce was hurting me a lot. I was bullied in school. I didn't have a girlfriend. Like all these things were just crushing my self-esteem because it's, it's easy <laughs> And this is the thing. It's like in the self-help world, it's easy for people to be like, well, you should have just known that mm-hmm. you know, who, whoever is meant to be with you will be with you and all, all these things you hear now, but a freaking 15-year-old doesn't want to hear that stuff. Right. You know, right. it's right. just a reality. And mm-hmm. and meaning and success and all these things to like a 15-year-old guy back in the day, it was like, all right, what girls are interested in you? Mm-hmm. Are you making the right sports teams? Mm-hmm. Who are you hanging out with? What are you doing? Like, do people like laugh at your jokes? Like those are all the things that held significant weight as far as how you felt about yourself back in the day. And I didn't have any of those things. And mm-hmm. so it negatively impacted my, my self-esteem so much mm-hmm. so that it nearly cost me my life. And again, I wish that, that my mom would have asked me these questions. Now with that said, I guess coming back on the other side of it, like how to support somebody, there's a few things. Number one, it's, it's like, don't shame them. And the mm-hmm. reason I say that is because if somebody's making really, really bad decisions, most of the time, you know, they, they have an idea that they're making bad decisions mm-hmm. to some level, right? Even if they're like caught in their own negative wiring or subconscious or whatever you want to call it, they still, I think, have an idea they're making poor choices. So you telling them that they're a piece of junk or they're a mm-hmm. jerk or all this stuff, like, isn't going to help the situation. It's going to create more tension. And then also understanding that we, we, I think we make decisions. I think our outer world is a reflection of how we feel about ourselves on the inside. Mm-hmm. And so if we feel like crap about ourselves on the inside, we're going to settle 
and be okay with having you know crappy relationships. We're going to be okay with having a crappy job, you know, crappy habits, all these things, because inside that's how we feel. Mm-hmm. And so just knowing that that person is really, really struggling, and that having empathy for them, and then also not trying to to just fix them, because you're not going to be able to change that person. You mm-hmm. can't. You know, it's. I wish it were so easy that if I saw a person struggling, that if if Jordan, if you came to me and you told me you were struggling with something, and I gave you all the answers, Mm. you're like, all right, done. Yeah, great, perfect. (laughs) Yeah, you call me tomorrow and be like, dude, thank you so much. Like, I'm so healed. That's just not how life. Like, we're we're a lot more complex than that. And yeah, and then and kind of meeting that person where they're at. So, Mm -hmm. for instance, an easy example, I would just use it with fitness because. I think that there's, there'll be a lot of people that can relate to this. Let's just say for somebody like myself, I, you know, I work out, I would say five, six days a week, I would say I'm pretty fit, but let's just say one of my friends isn't so fit. And let's just say they haven't gone to the gym in 10 years, but they kind of are in a spot where they want to get back into shape that they don't know how I'm not going to bring them into the gym with me and expect them to try to do my workout. What I might do though, is say, Hey, you want to go for a walk, like a 10 minute walk on the trail? Mm-hmm. Do you want to like just go walk around the neighborhood and just chat? Meeting them where they're at, because what's going to happen when you do that? You're going to feel better about yourself because you're like, wow, I'm so grateful that I helped this person out. Two, I think that they'll feel a little bit better because like, wow, I know that so and so is super fit, but he took time out of his day to come over here, mm-hmm. take a walk with me, and and you know, in a, in a way that he didn't get a good workout or she didn't get a work good workout, whatever the case is, and then you start to you know formulate this bond where now you're kind of seeing each other for who they truly are. And you're also helping to convince that person that you're not going to go there and try to fix them and try to drag them along. So I think that's what we do sometimes is we expect other people to think like us. We expect to be able to take somebody who's at a level zero and bring them to the level you know, 15 that we're at or 20 that we're at, because we're like, if I can do it and I've gotten here, then they can too. Right. And it's just not that simple. Again, we're more complex. And then the, the last thing I'll say is you do have to set boundaries. And you got, you got to protect your emotional health. And I don't mean boundaries where you just cut everyone out, right? Because that's, I mean, that's probably not healthy, right? I think part of life is having some people that you're still friends with that maybe you don't agree with all the decisions that they're making. They're still good people. And you kind of just want to be there to support them, right? You still want to be there in a way, but also not being afraid to have hard conversations with them and saying like, listen, that wasn't cool like of how you treated me. Or man, I saw what you said to your, your wife, or I saw what you said to your brother or your husband or whoever it is, like, I think you should apologize. I think you could do better. So having hard conversations, setting boundaries and knowing your limits, I think is important too. So again, all of what I just said, it's more like controlling the controllables and, and really doing some work on yourselves, ourselves mm-hmm. to gain understanding mm-hmm. on communication, how to have empathy, how to meet people where they're at and you know, get people to walk alongside you instead of you trying to just take their arm. And pull mm-hmm. them. The, the last example I, I want to give, it's something that really hit home with me. I had Pastor Tony Evans. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but I had him and his son on my podcast last, I forget, I think it was last year. Pastor Tony Evans is probably like one of the most well-known pastors in the world. He's in Dallas. And um, I was we, I was having a conversation with him about how can we shorten the gap between Christians and non-Christians? I said, I think we live in this world where we have people who are super spiritual or they're super Christian or whatever. And then there's people who are like, I hate spirituality. I hate Christians. All people who believe in God are weird, bad, that sort of thing. And one of the things he said to me is, is he said that, and I'll never forget it. 
I think this is like part of the problem. I think this is this is it right here. If people can just internalize this. This is like the thing that you need to know when how when dealing with somebody that you might either don't agree with or somebody that's struggling. He said, "Is is Christians? We always want to go and and pull that person from their side to our side. That's all we want to do. But he's like, we are we're afraid to go onto their side, and it really hit home with me because mm-hmm. that's the thing. That's kind of just summarizes everything I just said." We're so quick to say, I want to, I want you to become like me. Mm-hmm. I want you to do what I'm doing. I want you to believe what I believe. But yet we're so we take so much time to say, maybe I should just go over there and just spend some time with them and see what they believe. And yeah. I think that's a good kind of brings everything together as far as how to really help somebody and gain empathy. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the foundational message that I think comes through all of these pieces of advice that you even touched on in the beginning with ask like wishing your mom would have asked you why, whether or not like that specific question applies to someone else's situation, I think the foundational takeaway from that is seek to understand, take the time to listen and be willing to like to sit with someone in it and understand where they're coming from, even if you don't agree with how they're dealing with it or can understand it personally because you don't have the same lived experiences, just offering the willingness to listen and to show empathy and interest, like you said, goes so far. And I also think, and I'm curious if you have a thought on this, but I think there's also so much power like in tandem with that. And it sounds a lot like what you've been saying, but validating their not necessarily their choices or their like mindset, if it's like an unhealthy thing, but validating their feelings, if they've walked through pain or if they're dealing with hurt, I think there's a way, and I want to know if you agree with this, to validate someone's feelings and to listen and to empathize without necessarily saying, and yep, I give you a seal of approval on every single way that you're responding to this. I think you can validate without necessarily like enabling, if that makes sense. And I'm curious if you would agree, because I think one of the most frustrating things when you're hurting is to feel unheard. And like everyone just wants to fix you or change your circumstances or make it all better or give you advice or give you perspective. Like, well, at least it's not this bad or like it could be worse. You know, I think sometimes we subtly say things like that, trying to help. And as a result, the receiver feels very invalidated in the process. And I think it's really interesting that even in this conversation, you were sharing all of these different ways you were looking for outside validation, most likely because maybe even earlier in your life, you weren't being heard and you weren't getting the validation for the pain that you were walking through, the challenges, and no one seemed to to show that interest in trying to understand. So as a result, sometimes our response can be, well, I'm going to look for validation in these external things. So I'd be curious what your thoughts are on that. That's a great question because I think that's that's everything, right? I think that's you see a lot of that now, not just in people that are struggling with addiction or making poor choices. You just you see that now in how people communicate about politics, you know, different social issues, different moral issues, and that sort of thing. And that we've lost the ability to accept them for who they are, and without like seeing that they're a bad person because mm. of it. Does that make sense? Like yeah. I think. Oftentimes what happens is because somebody doesn't agree with us, we think that they're a bad person and that you know we don't need to validate how they feel. We should just convince them to feel otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just think that that's that's so wrong because I think as humans, like we're meant to think differently and and all of us are we have our own journey. We have our own beliefs that have been shaped by our own life experiences. And you're right, there is this way to say, like, listen. Let's just say, for instance, like you're, let's just say you're my sister, just to use like a real example. Let's just say that you're 
suffering and, and struggling with addiction. You're you're lying to me. You're manipulating me. You're just you're not telling the truth and that sort of thing. I could sit here and I could say, Jordan, like, listen, like, I love you to death. I think you're a strong girl and you've been through so much. And I know that this must be so hard what you're going through. I can't imagine the pain that you're going through right now. And I care deeply about you. However, with that said, although I do love you and I think highly of you, I, it's not okay for you to steal from me. It's not okay for you to manipulate me. It's not okay for you to be dishonest and all these things. Like, And just know that it doesn't change the way I feel about you. Mm-hmm. Because I think what happens is it's like one or the other. It's yeah. like, I'm just going to love you for who you are and, just, and just let you do whatever. And that doesn't change anything, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other the other side of it is me just completely sh- you know, cutting you off and not talking to you at all mm-hmm. or shaming you for these choices. And you're like, man, he doesn't even understand like what I'm going through right now. Mm-hmm. And then that creates tension and would distance us in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good example. Something else I wanted to ask you about, I know it's kind of shifting gears, but there is something else I wanted to touch on because I think this blend of overcoming adversity and health and all of that kind of is a large part of your story as we touched on. And I'm curious what your thoughts are especially, well, I guess the best way to ask it is like, how can we support our health or do a better job? Like, I know there's a lot of women who may be walking through an adverse season and maybe it's not that they're struggling with making bad choices. Maybe they're just really stuck in a, in a really kind of like tough mental place because of pain they've experienced, whether that's being broken up with or losing their house in a fire or, you know, a a loss of some sort of a loved one or something. And sometimes those kind of experiences can just get us into a really unhealthy headspace or we can start coping and whether it's with drugs or something else, right? Maybe it's just like other other unhealthy habits. I'd be curious what your advice is on how we can do a, a better job of supporting our health specifically, especially when we're in the midst of a really difficult time or a painful season where we're just not feeling motivated. We don't care to go to the gym. Like we're just trying to survive. I'd be curious if you have any like encouragement or tips for ways to take care of your health and to take care of your body, even if you find yourself in a a really low season or a tough time? Well, the easy answer for me just to say, just suck it up, right? And just to (laughs) say, no matter what, you got to take care of yourself. But we all know that it's just not that easy. What I will say is that I think sometimes in life, you got to play hurt. And what I mean by that isn't that you're physically hurt and that if you go out and tear your ACL, that you should just go for a run, you know, you, mm-hmm. that you should just continue on with your own physical activities as you were before. But what I am, what I am saying is that I think we have this idea sometimes in life. Again, I think like, some of it comes from the self-help space that you should just feel good all the time. And that life's great. That if you're not feeling like that 10 out of 10 of excitement, that something's wrong with you. And mm-hmm. the reality is this, the reality is that life is a lot of peaks and valleys. The life is a lot of ups and downs. And the hope is that through these ups and downs, your life is just a little bit higher next year than where when it was the year before, or a few, it's a little bit higher a few years from now than it was a few years in the past. And I think we we tend to forget that our biggest growth and our biggest opportunities to become better are in the downtimes, mm-hmm. right? Like I think self-confidence, self-esteem, strength isn't built at the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. It's built like picking yourself back up after each fall and bringing this back to fitness. And why I brought up the playing hurt analogy is that you'll often hear, and I used to be this person that if I didn't feel 100%, I wasn't going to go to the gym. Mm. And I learned that 
like those were the days where I needed to go. And it wasn't just for the physical benefits. It was really, it was really just to know that life isn't going to be perfect. And sometimes life just sucks. And I just, you just have to do the thing anyway. And not necessarily like the the hour and a half workout I would have done, but it could have been, been me just going outside and going for a walk and just doing something to change my state. And I think that's important for for people to remember and that when they're going through something tough, it's like sometimes you just have to give it your best that day. It doesn't mean you have to feel your best. It doesn't mean that you have to be the best, but just give it your best that day and start small and just learn to stack these small wins and think to yourself, okay, like I know my life is tough right now, but what are like three things that if I did today, I know I would feel better about myself and then I could build off of that effort tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Could be going for a 10 minute walk, could be calling a talking to your audience is mostly women. It could be calling like one of your good girlfriends that you know you can really trust and have a deep conversation with for a few minutes. Could be listening to a podcast. It could be, you know, cleaning your room. I mean, I'm just thinking of examples of of things that yeah, can help you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Help you like build a baseline level of self confidence and kind of keep the intentions that you set for yourself, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. And, and not, and try not to overcomplicate it. And I know this sounds cliche because a lot of people say it that you shouldn't compare like your chapter one to somebody else's chapter 20. And I do think that's true mm-hmm. because I think what, what trips people up many times in life especially when they get into a circumstance like you just described, whether it's they're going through a breakup, I mean, something traumatic happened to them with their their house or something, that if you go on Facebook or you go on Instagram and you see people when they're living their life in this happy way, you're Mm going to compare yourself. And if you compare yourself, like you're destined to feel like crap. Because of course, like who wouldn't? If you're just going through a breakup and the next day you see somebody getting married, you would have to have like zero emotion to not feel anything, right? Right. Right. And just knowing that that's normal and that's okay. But what I am saying is this, is that you got to kind of have the ability to acknowledge that, see that, and then bring it back, bring it back to your life and say, okay, like, what do I need to do and continue doing to move myself along the path? And then ask yourself some hard questions. Mm-hmm. Like, who do I want to be? Do I want to be that person three months from now that is upset with myself because I didn't make the changes that I should have made. I didn't take those small steps. Or do you want to be that person that three months from now, you're talking to that same person and you're like, I'm so thankful that I I sucked it up and I went out for that walk when I didn't want to. I made the phone call I didn't want to. I said no more often. I distanced myself from things that you know weren't serving me at that time. And even though it was super challenging, I'm so thankful because I feel so much better about myself. And not just because of the impact they had maybe in my life, but because it gave me this sense of belief in myself that I didn't have before that moment, or I thought that I had lost. Because I think what happens specifically like people who are, are faith-based, ironically, it's it's mm-hmm. funny, man. Like a lot of people that struggle with with this ironically believe in God. It's that when things that are when they're going through a season, they forget about God. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They forget about like Jesus. They forget about like the thing they're supposed to be believing in that something is out there guiding them towards this destination, that they forget that they've been carried through every other time they've gotten through every other hard moment in their life. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if you can kind of just get through the weeds a little bit and just get your head above the, the ground a little bit and just say, like, I know right now, like stuff's hard. I can't see crap. It's so dark. But what I do know is that if I stay in this place, it might get a little darker. And if I make some bad choices, it, it'll really get darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you just keep putting 
one, if I can continue to put one foot in front of the other and make these small choices, some of the ones I mentioned or others, and just build off that and keep going one foot in front of the other, you start to see some light. You don't know where, where when it's going to come. You don't know where it's going to come from. You don't know how, but you'll start to see some light. And I think in times of darkness, I want people to, to realize that light appears a lot quicker than you think it will. Mm-hmm. It really does. Because when we're immersed in darkness, all we can think about is darkness. And what do we do? We future trip. Yeah. We're like, I'm going to stay here forever. And I just want to encourage people, just like your story, just like my story and others, that your adversity isn't your destiny. And your adversity is there to help teach you something. It might be one lesson, it might be 50, but just doing what you can to control the controllables to move forward in a way that's healthy and productive. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really thankful that you shared that. And I, I it's interesting because the way I've put it, and I remember something that my mom actually gave me the advice for when I was going through a loss and I was just like, totally like, it just felt like my like legs got taken out from under me, you know? And when suddenly like life that was like, life was going one direction and then it like flips upside down and you just feel so disoriented and, and full of grief and, and confusion and all the things it, it really does demotivate you to where you're like, I don't want to get up off the couch. I don't care about anything. The things that I cared about yesterday don't seem to matter comparatively now, you know? And I didn't want to do anything for several days past. And I just didn't care. And my mom suggested, she's like, you got to move. You know, she's like, let's go for a walk. I was like, I don't want to go for a walk. Like that's so pointless. I don't care. And she said, okay, you don't have to like go back to life as usual immediately. She said, but I want you to do one normal thing a day. And it just reminds me of the advice that you're giving here. Like it really is like small steps do add up. And if you can just take one small step at a time to take care of your health and to get back, like to just a healthy place, even if you're not in the same place you were before, because life looks different now it truly does build on itself. And so I took her challenge to do one normal thing a day. And so it was like a Sunday or something that she said that. So I decided I just like mapped out in my brain, like, okay, on Monday, I'm going to go like outside of the house. I'm going to run an errand, you know, Tuesday, I'm going to go for a long walk Wednesday. I'm going to finish all the laundry that's been piling up, like just basic things I needed to get to, but I just had no motivation to do Thursday. I'm going to cook a healthy meal. Like things that do take care of your health, even if you're not in the gym, you know, pumping iron. And so I did that. And it was interesting because by like Wednesday or Thursday, I was feeling like a little bit of a spark back. Like I was like, you know what? I think I could do something else. And like, instead of just doing one normal thing, I was also able to do one other thing. Like I was able to finish out some work emails and then I was then, you know, able to do something else the next day. And you kind of, by taking that one small uncomfortable step and then one small uncomfortable step after that, like you start to get back a little bit of that spark for, wait, this feels good. Like, let me go cook a healthy meal. Let me, you know, order some healthy groceries, like, or whatever it might be to just do the small things that can help you feel better. Even if you don't feel great in that place or in the place that you're in. So anyway, it just reminded me of that when you, when you shared that. So thank you for that. Doug, this has been so good. I feel like you and I could talk for like four hours. I remember when I was on your podcast, I was like, oh, I'm so sad that this is ending because we had so much more we could talk about. But um, I just really appreciate your your perspective and all that you've shared and the wisdom and the, and the advice. But I'd also love if you can just, as we wrap up, I'd love if you can share where everyone can learn more from you. I know you have a few books. Can you share where to find those and also where to follow along your journey and um, continue to just be inspired by you? Thank you. And I appreciate you having me on. This has been a really good conversation. And I love what you said because I think sometimes like it takes us to begin to like army crawl before mm-hmm. we can like even like crawl and then crawl before we can walk. And then why don't you start to walk a little bit and jog and then jog to run? I think that kind of brings everything back together about the theme of the conversation and that, you know, just taking some small steps to mm-hmm. achieve a bigger result. And so I just wanted to 
to kind of highlight that really quick. But yeah, I mean, I have three books. The first one I wrote is called From Felony to Fitness to Free. The second book is called Faith Family Fitness. And the third book is called The Heart of Recovery. You can get them all on, on Amazon. Or if you go to my website, dougbopes.com, you can buy them there through, I think through Amazon there as well. And then uh, the podcast, which I uh, loved our conversation that I have with you on there called The Adversity Advantage, which is available wherever you get your podcasts. And I'm most active on Instagram and now TikTok at Doug Bopes. So come check me out if uh, this resonated with you. Awesome. Doug, thank you for being here. You guys definitely give him a follow, check out all that he's doing. And I just pray that this was as encouraging for all of you as it was for me. Doug, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been so much fun. You got it. Thank you. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content and it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.